We are going to listen together now to uh, writing from the book of Genesis, the 32nd chapter, verses 22 to 31. Oh, we'll go to 32. Listen now to the word of our Lord. That same night, he, that is Jacob, got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jebok. And he took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until and unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us bring our hearts and minds together in a time of prayer. God, we sincerely hope that in the midst of the words that I speak and in the thoughts and feelings and images that arise in us out of that hearing, that your voice would be clearer to us than it was before. That something of this mixture of our gathering would form in us something of your likeness in Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're going to jump right into the fray this morning, literally. Because, check it out, there's a good fight. And you know how much we love a good fight. Oh yes, we who go to church and call ourselves Christians, we who adore the Christ of nonviolence, who told us to turn the other cheek and to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, yes, us. Because inasmuch as we are Christians, we are also, thankfully, human beings. And something about being human means being drawn to a good fight. 
Do you remember the charged atmosphere of the playground? When two of your classmates started yapping with one another and words started to turn into shoves and the crowd circled around them in anticipation, fight, fight, they yelled, hoping that they might see a few punches be landed before the teachers swept in to break it up. It's like the electricity in the arena when the hockey players drop their gloves and go at it. We stand up. And even if we are not so sure whether we approve or like what we are seeing, we crane our necks to get a better view. We might even yell and scream if a punch lands or groan when the fighting fizzles. If you're a sports fan you no doubt have heard or encountered some of the hype surrounding the upcoming bout between the boxer Floyd Mayweather and the mixed martial artist Conor McGregor. We may consider the marketing of that violence and the violence itself distasteful, but the promoters and the organizers don't really care what we think because they know that we are human, and that we are, at a minimum, at least curious about, if not attracted to, the prospect of a good fight. The potentially disturbing question before us today is whether this attraction is part of God's being as well. Is God itching for a good fight as much as, or more than, we are. In our text today, we pick up on the story of Jacob, with whom we have spent some wonderful weeks. And to this point, God has been present to Jacob in wondrous ways, in dreams of angels descending and ascending from heaven as on a ladder. And in the voice that God offers, a great promise of land and offspring and prosperity. But rather abruptly here in this story, God appears as one who drops the gloves, who gets in Jacob's face. When we see Jacob fight, it doesn't surprise us. He is a man who has been engaged in conflict for much of his life, and on this particular moment, on this particular night, he is alone. And he's awaiting the fight he thinks he's going to have with his brother Esau in the morning. But instead, the fight comes in the night, not from his brother, but from a divine figure that Jacob would recognize as the face of God or as an angel of God. We, I suspect have a hard time seeing God in the face of a fighter. We expect God to extend the healing balm of Gilead, not to heap bruises upon the beloved. But this is the God of the text, at least this text. This God fights. This God fights Jacob and does not prevail over him. This God strikes 
a low blow that would put Jacob's hip out of joint and put a limp forever in his step. As much as we might want to leave this image of God behind us, Jacob refused to let go of it, refused to let go of this God. Jacob, who held fast to his brother's heel as he exited his mother's womb, held fast to the one who struck him on his hip as part of his birth to new life. I will not let you go unless you bless me, Jacob insisted. What is your name? Our fighting God asks. Jacob. Well, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. So in our text today, we have a good fight. A good fight from which came great woundedness, but also great blessing. And it took two willing fighters, two all-in, down-in-the-dirt-in-the-dark-of-the-night combatants to make it happen. Not just a human fighter, but a divine fighter as well. There's a strand of thinking these days, a criticism of the church and of culture, that Christianity has lost its way. That instead of worshiping the God of the Old and New Testaments, the God of the burning bush and the ten plagues, the God of the cross and the empty tomb, that the church and the prevailing culture has instead fashioned a God who is more about pleasant morality. A God who primarily seeks for us to feel good about ourselves. A God who is benevolent but mostly distant. Some have called this false faith moral, therapeutic, therapeutic deism. And its proponents want God to be nice and safe because life is better when it is nice and safe. But the God of this fight is decisively about more than niceness and more than safety. Something precious and vital is at stake. A new name must be given. A new nation must be born. So there needs to be some wrestling, some struggle, even some wounding. We may be thankful for that fight. Thankful that not only the human Jacob, but also the divine figure of God we're both willing to struggle face to face through all the hours of the night. Because otherwise we would not have this story, this blessing, this life. What if they had chosen not to fight? Several months ago I shared a personal story from my childhood about something that I did that I deeply regret. And if you weren't here, it involved a rock and a helpless baby robin. And that's as far as I'm going into that story today. Because today I have a different childhood memory where I did, quote-unquote, the right thing, but yet I still feel regret. I was in middle school, 
walking home from school with some friends. And I came to, or we came to a, a, a bridge that crossed into a soccer field surrounded by woods. So it was kind of like an arena. And a classmate of mine, I'll call him Rick, confronted me and, and started to pick a fight. Now, Rick was not some big, intimidating bully. He was short, tough, but short. I was definitely taller and a whole lot nicer. <laughs> Rick came from the grimier, edgier part of town, and he was the rough and tumble kid who was always getting in trouble or seeking the trouble. And I was, confess, I will confess, the goody two-shoes. And I think that's why he sought me out. And he gave me that shove, that chesty, in-your-face shove that says in not so many words, come on, let's go. And it really took me back. But it drew the crowd in, as you would suspect. Many of the crowd were my best friends, and they themselves joined in the happy chorus, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> and I remember feeling a little disappointed in that, that my friends were more rooting for the fight than for me. But mostly, I remember being afraid. Of Rick, maybe a little. But more deeply, I was afraid of the moment. I was scared of the fight itself, what it might cost me, where it might lead, how it might wound my teacher's perceptions of me if they were to find me, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes Pugilist, and how it might cost me my perception of myself, the good boy. Because I also felt the stirrings of a fight in me. That even though I was the good kid who went to church and knew that Jesus said, don't fight, there was a part of me that really wanted to clock him. Maybe as much as he wanted to clock me. But I was so afraid of the fight that I dodged it. And so after a few inconsequential shovings, I escaped to the safety of home. I knew, and I know, that if I had fought, things could have escalated. There could have been a cycle of retaliation and animosity that would have been far worse than whatever might have been gained by landing a blow in that moment. But I felt then, and I still feel now, that I squandered my resistance like the boxer who cried out in his anger and his shame, I am leaving, I am leaving, I just left. I let go. And I betrayed the fight that is in me. I wish I hadn't. So how about that? You came to church and expected to hear a nice, pleasant God conveyed in Scripture through a sermon preached by a nice pleasant pastor, and instead you get a story about a street-fighting God and a preacher who regrets not punching his classmate. <laughs> it's good that they didn't ask me to do the children's sermon today. <laughs> Don't listen, Lucy and Brooke. 
Now, in truth, I do not believe that God seeks or desires violence between us and God, between us and our neighbor. God is not a member of the crowd yelling, fight, fight. But neither is this life always nice and pleasant. And being faithful, as Jesus would later show us, is not always about being meek or mild. And God, well, God is not one to conform to our theological boxes, even the ones that seem proper and right, because it turns out God, in a way, boxes. Jesus said later, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. In those words and in God's wrestling with Jacob, I see a God who is willing to fight, willing to struggle, willing to wound and be wounded in order to bring forth the change in the person and the people that God seeks. In our assurance of pardon today, we repeated something we say often in that part of the service. In Christ, there is a new creation. The old life has gone and a new life has just begun. And it all sounds just so nice. But we cannot overlook the fact that to become a new creation, to lose the old life, to have the new one, there is going to be a struggle. A struggle that can feel a lot like a fight, like combat. It might hurt. When the rich young man asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus told him to sell everything and give his money to the poor and to follow him. Those are fighting words. And afraid of that fight, the man walked away grieving, carrying the regret that I named for myself as a child. I imagine that that man knew that he was squandering more than just his resistance, but the very abundant life that Christ wanted for him. In light of this story, Frederick Buechner has called God our beloved enemy. Enemy, because in giving us everything, God demands of us everything. Ourselves, our wills, our treasure our beloved as a holy antagonist, to be our protagonist. Jewish scholar Aviva Zornberg reminds us that this battle, this struggle, this fight is waged in love. Using her interpretation of the Hebrew text, she tells us to not see in this fight two combatants in a cage striking blows to the head with feet and fists. Instead, we are to see, quote, the loving, hostile grip of the wrestler. Wrestling is twining. It's a nodding around of one another, being tied together. For this is the way of two people who strain to push each other down to the ground. They embrace, they struggle with each other. She says this is clearly a passionate experience involving the closest confrontation, literally 
face to face of the whole body. To fight for Jacob, God needed to wrestle with great passion with Jacob. And to receive God's blessing, Jacob had to wrestle too with all that he had. He had to hold on to God and fight the good fight. How you interpret that for your life is up to you. Life meets you with struggle, and God may not be behind the struggle, but God is in that struggle. Will we remain with God in that struggle too? Or will we fight the good fight? Amen.